All right, so today's service, uh, Wednesdays, come. It's, uh, I had a, it was a, I had a, it was a great time for me. It's enlivening. Okay, anyways. I didn't think it was noisy. I didn't think it was noisy at all. Yeah, you know, hey, here's the thing. You know, I think we, we talked about this yesterday. If you were at the morning uh, Lord's Supper, I gave a little sermon about uh, waiting and the difference between waiting and peace and, like, uncomfortable silence. Um, I, th- I think we just wait in peace on Wednesday nights. And, you know, it's, you get little kids around, they just they can't wait. As quietly as others, but oh man, dynamite! Holy smokes! And that's not even including the nap. <laughs> no, yeah, uh, no, I, I, I am very proud of the Saint John children because it's. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I th- we have a lot of nice, great parents. <laughs> I know most parents don't probably feel that way, but um, I don't know if I said this in this. There is, this is, uh, several weeks ago, I had mentioned a pastor from North Carolina who, you know, bought this, like, 16,000 square foot home, and that was contrasted to the Apostle Paul's kind of like, hey, I worked full time and, you know, didn't take anything from you guys. Well, anyways, his church, though, has some very, like, really cool videos. And one of them is actually very nice. Um, they, they, so they filmed, I don't know, let's say half a dozen, ten moms. And they just asked, how, how were they as, as, like, moms? And, of course, moms thought about how they weren't great moms. That was their primary thing. Like, they thought about all the things that they screwed up. So just by themselves, individual. And then they went and filmed their children. They asked, what did, what did you think of your mom? And, like, it was like, wow, she's the best person ever. She's the greatest <laughs> mom. I love her so much. And then they filmed the moms watching the video. Oh, yeah. It made me start to cry. So... Um, I always think about that, like, like the perception of the parent and, like, outside perceptions. So, like, I think parents do a really good job at St. John, even though I, I can tell that a lot of parents are, like, you know, exhausted and wondering if they're getting it right, and there's just so much uncertainty about the whole thing, but, um, They do a good job. So, if you need a little inspiration, I don't. I have no idea how I found that video. I couldn't even tell you how to find it. But it's Elevation Church Mothers. You probably could Google it; it might come up. It's Elevation Church. Well, yeah. Well, it is a little strange. But um, (laughs) it's in Raleigh, North Carolina. I think it's Raleigh. I think or no, Charlotte, North Carolina. 
No, it's, it's, it's yeah, North Carolina. I can't remember. It's Raleigh or Charlotte and Elevation Church, Mothers. Um, it was very nice. Well, yeah, because, I mean, you always you wonder what you do to your kids and <laughs> wonder how it all works out. Okay. All right. So just uh, where are we? First Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 5. Um, we're going to talk about sleeping today or not sleeping. Yeah, now we do have to go back. Uh, the, uh, so, number f- uh, chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware, aware is good, that the day of the Lord shall come like a thief in the night. Aware in night is contrasting. So, you know, if you're aware, you're awake. Awake, aware. Wow, connected, right? I know. <laughs> I just blew your mind open. Uh, contrasted with the thief in the night, so we have night and light. Okay, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, brothers and sisters. For that day, uh, so you're not in darkness for that day to be a surprise like a thief. For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. All right, so sleep is not always sleep. Um, You know, when we think of the word sleep in our modern English usage, we have a variety of ways of talking about, right, sleeping. I mean, there's when I go to bed at night, I sleep. But, you know, if I get in a car accident, someone might say what to me? Or, what, were you asleep at the wheel? Now, I literally could be, which is actually related to uh, uh, something. Or, most people, would, you would understand as, like, I wasn't paying attention. There's a lack of awareness. So, um, you know, we use the word sleep kind of literally, metaphorically. And then we also use it as, like, kind of a euphem- euphemism uh, for a variety of reasons. I mean, you know. Um, all right, so, so in the, the passage I just read, we actually have two words for sleeping. One, and in Greek, for some reason, they have two kinds of sleeping, and they actually are, they can be interchangeable. So it's not like one is only used in one circumstance and one is used in another circumstance. They're just kind of used interchangeably. Uh, but here in the biblical text, they are kind of used, in kind of, and that's just kind of a literary device. So what we see here in the first one is uh, we're, we're children of the light, so let us not sleep. Um, so there's a, there's a, it's, it's a metaphorically speaking uh, as it relates to light. That's the sleep number two. But then at the very end it says whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. 
That word sleep actually reflects the sleep that's in chapter 4 when it says, Brothers, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep before. Yeah, so that has a, has a, has a death connotation. That's a euphemism. But in this, so in this circumstance, at that very end, whether you are awake, that means alive, or asleep, meaning dead in the Lord, you live uh, with him. So uh, th that's important because I think uh, as we kind of just start discussing what happens here, there's some practical implications as, as um, we kind of move along in terms of like, well, speaking of children, I'm going to talk about that, how we talk about death even with uh, children. So, um, all right, so was, okay, so now the thing is though, what we might say is, you know, he died, you know, he fell asleep in the Lord. We might have heard that before. For a lot of us, that, that just kind of rings off, and that's, that's very understandable. Uh, but sleep was actually used as a euphemism in pagan society. So what Paul, what we're reading in Paul, we have to kind of, again, put ourselves into the context and realize that Paul is using something that's uh, common, but he's kind of radically transforming it. Because... Um, what he's doing to the pagan world is he, he's applying actually like kind of biblical narrative from the Old Testament and reinterpreting what the pagan world is saying. So, I got some quotes here from, uh, again, from, from philosophers from back those times. Uh, Hopes are for the living, the dead are without hope. I mean, that's encouraging, right? That's real helpful. Um, and then there's a quote here. It wasn't a direct quote from uh, Plutarch because I didn't want to um, in a letter to a friend who, okay, so Plutarch, he, we mentioned him before, he's a, uh, a, a, one of those traveling philosophers, he was, but he was one of those upstanding guys. In a letter to a friend who lost a son, urges reason is the best cure for grief. After all, all people are mortal. I mean, what did you expect, this person to live forever? Again, I mean, your heart, heart is warmed right now, isn't it? It's just, Yeah. A similar appeal to reason is found in Seneca, who is probably one of the most famous philosophers at the same time as Paul, who scolds a friend for an unbecoming and excessive display of grief. So, uh, sleep was a euphemism for death, but it didn't provide any solace for this sleep. Uh, for this sleep, did not wake up. I should say, I wrote, did wake up. I was probably half asleep when I wrote that. Uh, I know I proofread it this morning, and that was not helpful. Um, apparently, it wasn't helpful. Uh, so, oh, so then there's uh, uh, another philosopher there who was a, a friend of Epicurus, where we get the word Epicurean from. But uh, lie down and sleep and follow the pursuits of a worm. Again, so sleeping is related to lying in the dirt, but their whole pagan worldview is one that doesn't have hope. Okay, does that make sense? So, I mean, so you, now we can't get the wheels of train by in our heads. Is that Paul very simply, his image of using sleep is actually very hopeful because wh when we when we go to sleep at night, what do we expect? We'll wake up. Yeah, right. So it's hopeful, you know. Hey, I mean, yeah. I mean, I you know, I don't. I you know, uh, children have sometimes have a tough time sleeping. I did when I was a kid. I mean, I don't know what it was, but man, when I lay down at night, all of a sudden I could just couldn't go to sleep. But before that, I was probably tired, cranky, 
my parents said, hey, it's time to go to bed. But I just, I could, I just sit there. And I got really anxious. And I, I, you know, I think, I wonder if this is part of the, my anxiousness was, you know, this idea that, hey, maybe if I fell asleep, I was missing out on life. And there was like the, not this expectation of kind of waking up, you know, like there's this loss in sleep. However, now I haven't, I don't have that problem anymore. <laughs> you can give me two minutes and I could fall asleep on the floor right now, probably. <laughs> maybe, why well, I, I drank my coffee, so. Yeah, maybe 10 minutes, but no problem. <laughs> Anyways, so, so this idea, so in the pagan world, so as we read Paul, you know, we kind of just gloss over this stuff. And, and that's something that we have to kind of slow down, which I think is going to relate to what Paul says, that we got to be awake. So part of this is we read the biblical text, is we actually have to, again, slow down, put ourselves into this kind of context and say, why do these people need to hear this? And we find out they need to hear this because their impression of dead, being dead, is, is really kind of morbid. I mean, there's, there's no hope involved. There's no, there's no understanding of, of, of kind of life. Yep, right, yep. Well, I mean, we, we, get in, we get into the New Testament and the Sadducees, right? They, they're sad, you see, um, because they don't, they, they don't believe in the resurrection. So within Judaism, there, there's, there's a couple of views on what happens. I have a comment, but my, my co-worker said, yeah, right. I, never think, I never think about it, why are you asking me that? I mean, it was interesting, I don't, don't think about what happened. Right. Okay, so, so actually this is a great point because, again, as we put ourselves into this cultural context, it seems so foreign to us. But what Paul is doing, again, what Paul is doing, we're kind of, we're kind of just like, yeah, I get it. It's not, you know, whatever. Because we've probably all been to Christian funerals. We've probably ever heard about the resurrection. We know about eternal life. And, and, and so it, it is so common to us in our worldview what we don't realize is that there is people, there are people who, who don't have that same worldview. And Paul is actually just, I mean, just ra I mean, he's really t taking this, this uh, what this kind of euphemism is happening, and he really turns it up and around and all around. And so people could be like, "What? I never thought of that before," or "I don't think about it." Yeah, I mean, the thing is, modern atheists. Sure. You're done. Yep. Right. Yeah. And so that's again. So we, as we again, as we kind of talked about like last time about politics and putting our hope in, you know, is that as we, as we we interact with the world, our our first word can't be like, "What? What's wrong with you? Why don't you believe this?" It is to listen to be fully aware, to be wide awake to what's happening, and then using what we believe and what we know to apply that to that situation. Now the thing is, though, is that what Paul eventually gets to at the end, whether you are asleep or awake or asleep, you live with him. And so there's a present tense. So this idea of, of uh, kind of the resurrection or the eternal life 
has a direct ethical implication to today. So you believe this, that means you live, you live this. And then for the Thessalonians and for the Apostle Paul especially, that is the greatest witness to a world that doesn't believe this stuff. Is that you can't, I mean, it's not about an argument in terms of information. Because they could say, oh, that's a great story. That's so great. I wish that was true. And you could say, well, it is true. And then, and then your life tells the story how it's true. Because if you actually believe this, you will live differently. Uh, I think we get into this, right? I don't know, maybe I left that out. Well, oh yeah, so let's just keep rolling because sleep and night in pagan society. So the idea of, of night here. Paul makes the connection between sleep and night in verse Thessalonians 5-7. You know, as my parents used to say, nothing good happens after midnight. And that's why I had to be home by midnight. It just, yeah, yeah, everyone says it's true. See, since there wasn't much hope, a Christian would understand, uh, since there wasn't much hope, as Christians would understand hope, people, did people resort to pleasure or to what's happening? You know, you know, if I don't have this hope, then I better just, what? Yeah, right, eat, drink, and be merry, which is related to that Epicurean comment I mentioned earlier, is that they have a whole different worldview and a whole different set of values and priorities. Okay, and, and so as Christians, we have to be able to then now articulate something because there's ramifications of, of the reason why you believe that way. Again, we, we talked about this before. I mean, these religious cults, right? They were raves. They were like these very interesting things happening. And from a very carnal perspective, you know, I mean, why wouldn't you do them, right? But, um, but there's ramifications of living that way. Lindsay. Uh, that's good. That's a good. That's a good question. Right. So okay. So it's not, it, uh, the the faith without the hope in, in the pagan society wasn't so much a faith as in terms of religious faith. It was just a worldview. Oh yeah, with related to yeah some of the Jew, yeah the Sadducees. Right. It was more about living the ethical now, like a good life now. And when I say good, not necessarily love towards others, but like this, or, yeah, this upstanding thing, because this is, this is what God has given us from a Judea, uh, the Sadducee perspective. This is what God has given us to do, and, and that's what the best is, so that's what we do. But, right, so now you, you got to think about it. What, so when we t there's a, some discussion in terms of uh, it's always in, in the reference of hope, like Paul and, and mainly Paul. Uh, but sometimes you hear a, a, a word of reward. Now, the reward is not in, in terms of like cause and effect, good works, benefit. But this, this reward is, is not, well, the simple way to understand it is whose reward is it? It's Jesus' reward, and it's given to you. And so there is, you know, there's this whole uh, leaning towards the future, like what's happening in the future, and I have something to live for. Where the Sadducees, you live for now because this is what God has prescribed and you want to follow God because that's, that's the best thing to do. The Greeks, though, how did they understand living for the now? 
Well, yeah, you could die tomorrow, so we, we, you better get your what in. I mean, you better get your licks in. So I'm going to head up to the hill at nighttime and get all my pleasures in because I could die tomorrow. So do you understand? So those are two ways of seeing this whole reality of, hey, I better do what's best right now. Carol. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah, there's, I mean, the, the illustration, yeah, yeah, so, um, you know, for those people in radio land, Carol describes how, uh, how the future directly impacts, impacts the now by how, how you plan for a banquet. You sit down, you plan for it, but then you prepare for it by buying the food and the silverware, the place settings, and and, but it, like the actual point of it is in the future. But that point actually then directs what you do now. And that is a good image. Very concrete understanding. Uh, what, what does Paul say at the, in verse 11, actually? Just take a look, quick look at it. Therefore, encourage one another and build up, uh, build another, one another up just as you are doing. So Paul actually says that. I mean, and the fact is that, so you have to ask yourself, what does encourage mean? What does build up mean? Well, it means not, hey, let's get your attitude right, Bobby. It is live your life now in this way, Bobby. Everybody else too. But um, the idea is that, so you have the encouraging aspect, which is, is again, enlivening, empowering how we live, you know, kind of heart thing. And then building up is actually the, the doing, the, the living. Yeah. Okay, great. Excellent. See you. Yeah, Nancy. Yep. Oh. Sober, right. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah, so, so it, it is a literary, because uh, so sober is contrasted with what? Drunkenness. But drunkenness, obviously, not being drunk involves what kind of ethical character, characteristic? Self-control. So, so Paul is using sober in a, in a, a, again, kind of a euphemism or, or metaphorical sense. However, there is a, there is a literal sense to this because of the uh, uh, Dionysus cult. Or, or perspective, there's a lot of wine involved, so don't get drunk at night. I mean, but yeah, so that, that's a good point. Actually, there's a couple, well, I, I didn't want to talk about this, but, but there's a couple of things where some of the Bibles translate differently that have certain kind of different emphasis. But again, if you kind of slow down, you can kind of sort of see how they're connected. But the word is to be sober, I mean, literally speaking. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, is this on the back of this thing here? Yeah. Right. Well, I, I actually say you can't be a Christian and, and be asleep. But of course, we all sleep. All right. So we have to understand what Paul is saying here, 
And in that context, he's, he's using it in the metaphorical sense. So sleep is connected to the night. So it's not, hey, you shouldn't sleep at night. Mary, you would be the most godly person here because you didn't sleep that much last night. <laughs> um, no, no, no. So he, he's, he's, he's connecting the, the sleep and the night because, so, okay, uh, I think I asked this question too. So, all right, let's just kind of kind of abstract this. Uh, what are the two, uh, you know, I can get a DUI for, for obviously drinking, right? I mean, for being drunk. Now, there's another thing you can get something like a DUI. That's right, sleeping. In fact, I mean, scientifically, your driving pattern, if you're sleepy, is just like you're drunk. Or it's like, it's like just the same or something like that. So I, I find it interesting that uh, Paul uses that kind of imagery. And in fact, it, you know, as kind of we think about like, I mean, one of, one of the worst ramifications of drunkenness is drunk driving. And so it's funny how the sleepiness and the drunk, drunk driving are connected, sleeping at the wheel and, and drinking. So, um, so as Paul makes that, that connection, when you are drunk, you are unaware. You make, you make bad decisions. You don't know what's going on. And when you're asleep, obviously, you don't know what's going on. You, you, you're, you're out of touch with what's happening. And for Paul, the whole point is, as Christians, when we are awake, we are children of light. The children of light, or children of the day, uh, has a couple things. The children of light is just kind of the awareness. I can see things. I know what's going on. That deals with being awake. But the children of the day, we have to understand what that means, because the day is what? The day of the, the Lord. Now, of course, Paul uses this in a couple of circumstances, and the Bible uses it in basically three kind of ways. One is kind of the second coming of Jesus. That's Paul says the day of the Lord. You've got to be away for the day of the Lord. The other way, though, is the day of the Lord being what? What's that? Yeah, the Sabbath, or, or you know, sorry, we'd apply it to Sunday, right? Um, and then another one would be? Uh, that would be more related to the Sabbath, because you have the year jubilees and all that. Yep, yep. So, yeah, good. Thank you for saying that. That's a good distinction. Um, is the incarnation of Jesus, the day of the Lord, the day that Jesus comes the first time. And, 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 even more specific, the crucifixion and the resurrection. But, so you kind of have these three circumstances. You have this Sabbath, which has a whole theological freight to it. The incarnation, obviously, freight to it. And then the second coming. So, um, so, uh, so we're children of the day. So we're children of the Lord, in the Lord, in Christ, uh, his salvation. There's a, all that stuff is involved in that. So the thing is, though, if you are children of the day, the only way to receive the benefits of the day or engage in that life is to be awake, to be self-controlled, which then should kind of set off the whole fruits of the spirits and all that stuff from Paul's other writings. Okay, so... Yes! Oh! See, that was, I, I was going to do that, and I had a meeting this morning and it went late. Um, think, awake, awake, O sleeper, find the hymn. I, I put a note in there for me to find the hymn. I can't remember which one that is in LSB, but yes! Awake, awake, what's that? It could be. 
Yep, for night is coming. Uh, it's a great hymn. I mean, I like it a lot. We sang it the, uh, a couple weeks ago, didn't we, as a recessional hymn or something? Yeah, right. Oh, is there? Mary, you got to put this on the radio right now. Okay. Yeah, no, no, that's exactly right, Carol. That hymn, I mean, I, I, I like that hymn a lot for a variety of reasons, but one of them is the, 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 the emphasis on being awake. Uh, and, and so, you know, let's just kind of, it's on the back of the page, like the practical implications of what this means. First, the, those who are asleep, that would be the death and resurrection. One of the great things that I, we just, Holly, I feel like we handled well as a parent um, is the death of my grandfather. And it, it kind of came up, it just kind of happened. Uh, open casket at the, the wake. And Audrey, I mean, he looked like he was sleeping. So we just said he, 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 he fell asleep in the Lord. And my kids were able to understand that because of that earlier point. As Christians, when we fall asleep, we fully expect to wake up. And so it, that whole thing, in terms of a, uh, the euphemism, actually had real truth. We weren't necessarily trying to downplay anything. And that, that, so that gave me, gave me great confidence as a parent to talk about death with my children, is that I didn't have to like kind of soften the edges. I could talk very directly. Grandpa died, yes, but he is asleep also, and he will, he will wake up. And so that was, I mean, so my children, you know, I, you know as they grow older, the literalness of kind of life comes in, and then they were like, well, Grandpa really did die, right? We're like, well, yes, of course, but... That doesn't mean he will stay dead. He will wake up. And so, I mean, Isaac, I, Isaac's probably been the one that asks those follow-up questions. I, Audrey does a really good job of just kind of figuring it out on her own. But, um, but, that's, so, but, but I'm not, you're not speaking false, falsely. You're speaking very truthfully and confidently, but in a way that they can understand. So that's a real easy practical implication. Um, and of course, you know, just as our own our own grief, how we handle it, is that grief is real because we lose our relationship changes. We lo- lose that relationship because um, it changes, and none of us likes change, but um, we also, it's kind of uh, saturated with hope. So the other thing, though, is whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him, and that goes to what we had briefly talked about before. We live as children of the light means to live a sanctified life. Being awake doesn't simply mean uh, being awakened from sleep, but means being awake now, <laughs> uh, which might not mean that much anyways. But um, meaning that you live life fully aware, engaged. And so one of the practical impl- implications of this is there's no regret. I think, I think this is something that's very helpful for us. As, as you live life engaged as children of the day, today, you have, you have no regrets because you, you, you've actually, you're living, you're engaged, you're awake, you're with it. That doesn't mean you do everything though and that, that would be kind of a distinction I would like to make for a lot of us is that we get bummed out that, you know, I wish I would have taken more German classes as a kid. Okay, realistically speaking though, it wasn't like I was just sitting around doing nothing. 
well, you know. But I, so there's a delineation where you might have a false sense of regret. But then there's other times you really didn't do anything and you probably could have taken advantage of what God had given you. So there's, a, there's something involved with that in being awake. And we see that most precisely in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. I, I think I noticed somewhere around here. Luke 24, or 22, oh yeah. All right, so, um, right, Jesus goes and prays. He brings Peter, James, and John. Jesus goes, stone throws away, he, he prays, and then what happens to the three guys? They fall asleep. Now, in Luke especially, it says, Don't, uh, stay awake lest you fall into temptation, which echoes the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so is Jesus... Okay, did these guys, I mean, first of all, I have to ask yourself, did they really fall asleep? Probably to some extent, extent, but how would we, how would you know he's praying and drops of blood are falling down? Again, we're Lutherans, and this is one of the great distinctions we make between kind of maybe a, a fundamentalist understanding of the Bible, inspiration, especially in the Gospel of Luke. Luke says in the beginning, I wanted to sit down and write a, a record of Jesus. And I even contacted eyewitnesses. So when you read Mary and Elizabeth, you probably talk to Mary and Elizabeth. Because how, how would he know this stuff? I mean, especially the ones where they're, like, it's just Mary and Gabriel. There wasn't, like, another person around. So you probably, so this would be another one where you could say, well, how, how would Luke know that Jesus is drops of blood are falling down? Probably because he talked to James John and Peter. So they probably did fall asleep, because late at night, that makes sense. But is Jesus really talking about literal sleep? Well, yes, but also no. He's talking about this awake that Paul echoes. Yeah, right, Paul echoes Jesus. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so, so the, the disciples, do they have a sense of regret? Probably, because they fell asleep, but it wasn't really the sleeping that they probably regret. It's the meaning of what's happening. It's transpiring here. They're not engaged. Now, of course, they might not have, uh, because the Holy Spirit had not, Pentecost had not happened. So, Okay. And that's why I go, you can't be a Christian and be asleep. I don't mean that literally, though, of course. You, you can't just go through life. You, 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 as a Christian, you are engaged in life. And how you're engaged in life, how you uh, stay awake in life, is, um, well, I think I asked that question, right? Oh yeah, a life of being awake means, rather than pursuing self-interest and pleasure, that goes with the pagan society back then, it's a life of service to others, you know, service to God and others. You have to think about how would the rest of the Thessalonians support that. And if you really want to look, I gave you verses there to cheat on. You think about it, right? In the beginning of, of Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul says, I thank God for you always because of your example, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but the entire world has been impacted by this. So they have this 
they have this relationship to God and to others. And then Paul, you know, says, I didn't take any money from you. I was a pretty good example. You should imitate me as you're already doing. So, I mean, there's a, there's a variety of this. So, being engaged in the life has a, has a vertical dimension and a, and a horizontal dimension. Uh, but on a more kind of existential perspective, uh, blessed is he who stays awake. That's Revelation 16, 15. And I have a little picture down there. That, that would be, I would, I would be very impressed if you know where that picture is from. I bet you Holly knows. I did. I had to go. I had to check this to make sure this was true. So, the stalker. The stalker. It's a Russian movie by Andrei Tarkovsky. Just an awesome movie. Love it. Wonderful movie. Greatly encourage everybody to watch it. In fact, in fact, this would be a movie I would watch at church with people. I, you know, I would not be offended if you walked up and left if we watched it. However, the stalker. Now, of course, we hear that word and we think what? You know, crazy, yeah, crazy greasy man in the van, right? All right. This, that's not it, though. It's uh, okay. All right. So, uh, so this, the premise of this is uh, there is this stalker who takes people into the zone, and the zone is this place. You're not really sure if it's a uh, space aliens, nuclear holocaust, but something in the zone grants the wishes of everybody. You go to this place, and whatever you wish, you receive. However, in order to get to this place, you have to walk this very narrow path. Okay? It's very complicated. And you need a stalker to, to lead you to it. So, there's an image of the stalker right there. That's him. There's a writer and a professor. They don't have no names. That's their names. Writer, professor. So you've got to think kind of metaphorically speaking. And so he, he gets into the zone with these two men. And uh, they get into it, and, and looks, well, look what happens. They fall asleep. You're kind of like, what's going on? You're like, why are they falling asleep? Okay, however... If you are understanding the Christian faith in terms of sleep and awake, now it's making sense. Because they have a great temptation to do what? To fall asleep, to not be aware. And you're in the zone where everything is granted to you. But if you are asleep, guess what happens? You, you don't receive it. You're sleeping. Um, so this image is actually is probably my favorite. Well, there's a couple images from the movie. This is one of my favorites. Man sleeping, and as he sleeps, the story of the uh, Emmaus story is in the background. Now, do you guys know that story? Remember? So Jesus shows up, and what happens? They don't recognize him. They are they're asleep. They are not awake. So he, he, he tells a story, and, and it, it's not the whole story. You know, it's not all of chapter 24. But he ends, and so it's black and white. He's sleeping, and they kind of go over, you know, they kind of mosey on over by him. And then he kind of wakes up, 
and he asks the men, he says, what is, guess what question he asks them? Right after the kind of the, the stories ended in the Emmaus story, he says, are you awake? And he sort of looks at the camera, but he sort of doesn't. So he asks the viewer, are you paying attention? Are you awake? Because if you don't, you won't get the movie. I mean, it's very interesting. I, I, but that's a whole other kind of academic interest. But, um, oh, yeah, yeah, this is, begins part two. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to watch. Oh, no, it's, it's asked. Uh, I, I, would, I would probably argue that this director does those things on purpose. He has another movie I talked about, The Sacrifice, and he actually makes the viewer literally sacrifice how you watch movies in order to understand the movies. I, I absolutely. I think that's absolutely true. Okay, so what's the dog? What is a very famous traditional way of how referring to a dog? Oh, yeah, he's faithful, but what's the word? Fido, right? We, we, there's an old Fido. Faith. And the dog shows up and he awakes. So faith and awake awareness go together. This is a great movie. I mean, it's a fantastic story. It's a dog. I mean, it's, it's a black dog, but yeah, no, it's definitely not a wolf. Yeah, maybe in that image you might look at it. Rachel. No, I, yeah, see, no, I, so this is a great thing. Uh, I can't remember who told me this. I have a feeling it was, is, is Pastor Sinkvile. He said that falling asleep is practicing for the resurrection. You're just practicing for the resurrection. So, yes, so th this is very important. And I, I did say this somewhere. We're not talking necessarily about literal sleep. Um, we're talking about what this actually means. So being asleep is not just, it's, uh, it's spiritual. Uh, boy, I wrote these down. It, it, but it's also cognitive, like knowledge. And then a third one, which I wrote somewhere, and I can't remember where it is off the top of my head. It's in this paper somewhere. Yes, okay, thank you. That's right, Deuteronomy 6, actually, so at nighttime, Sleeping is a chance to meditate on God's word. So you lie down to, to meditate upon God's word. So, I mean, so, it's, so, you know, it's used in a positive way. I'm meditating right now. Yeah, I feel like that at church, but thankfully we don't give long enough sermons. We don't give long enough sermons to meditate. We're, we're always fully engaged. Right? Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah, right. 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 Okay, so, so let's go back to what we talked about as far as like when we talk about falling asleep in the Lord, 
we can do that with great confidence because what? We will rise again. Rachel, the same would go with literal sleep. So that at nighttime you can sleep well. <laughs> you can sleep well because of the, the hope of, uh, of the peace of God that which surpasses all understanding. Cindy. Right. Yeah, that's a good question. Now, um, I would say uh, probably not, mainly because sleep is practicing for the resurrection, and heaven, you, you are in the resurrection. <laughs> but you need sleep now because you need to practice. You can tell Soren and Stefan both. You need to practice. You need to get good at this. I wouldn't say God wants you to be good at this. They might fall sense of guilt, but just. That's right. You got to fall asleep so God can God can wake you up. That's right. There you go. That's right. He's going to wake. Yeah. So First Thessalonians chapter four. God's going to wake up everybody. Well, if you're not sleeping, you can't be awoken. So. That might be twisting. That might be twisting the the biblical text for your own gain. Generally speaking, is is a dangerous thing. So. All right. Any other questions or anything? I think we're out of time. Now, uh, so next week, we're going to just finish up the rest of, so uh, 12 to like 28. Um, and then we'll be done. Now, just in case you're wondering, curiosity, we will have a book for next time, and I have a few books that I'm looking at right now. So, um, But if you have one that you want to recommend, go ahead. I might not use it, but I, I would like to know. <laughs> I mean, I would like to know just because uh, I like to read and I, I do read and, you know, if you find it important, I should find it important, I will eventually read it. Yeah. So, anyways. All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.